This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. You mean it one more time? I'm glad you're here. Um, there's quite a few new faces. Like I continue to say, I've not got around to everyone, so I encourage you to fill out a connection card if you're new with us. They're in the back of the seat or the QR code. Um, if you fill out a paper one, you can drop it in the green box um, in the lobby. Um, and I just want to thank you for being here. My name is Pastor Trenton, and I have the privilege of being on staff here. And so thanks for joining us today. I know that as fall comes around, life is going to get busy, so thank you for prioritizing time with community um, and with, with Jesus. I believe this is not just us coming and doing our religious rights to be right with God, but it's us stepping into faith, into community, and growing, and, and getting to know one another, and so that's the importance of the body. Anyway, today we're stepping into um, our parable series, and I'm not speaking today. Pastor Larry Thomas is speaking today, and before he comes up here, I just want to make you all aware, we're going to pray over him really quick. Um, pastor Larry uh, is a pastor, is a retired minister that God has brought to RLC, and we are highly grateful for that. Um, and I love Larry's heart and his wife, Jan. They have an amazing heart to serve. They serve um, in many ways at RLC, many ways you probably don't see, but they are definitely a part of us. Um, about a month and a half, two months ago, Pastor Larry was asked to interim at a AG Church in Sheridan, and so he hasn't been with us the last couple weeks, which I know is hard for him because he loves us like a family, just like we love him. And so I want to pray really quick before he gets up here and brings the word for a couple things. First of all, I want to pray over him, um, say a thank you to God for Pastor Larry. Thank, thank, uh, thank you for him willing to use his gifts for God. I'm going to continue to do that, as well as I want to pray that God would bring in applications for a lead pastor for Sheridan. So Pastor Larry, come back to us, as well as that community can move forward with God's plan and vision. So would you guys just um, stretch? Stretch out your hands towards Larry and Jan this morning. We're going to pray over them. God, I just thank you for this amazing couple, God, that you've brought here. God, I thank you for the legacy and family that they are. God, I pray over Larry, God, that as he has continually been faithful to say, God, here's my gift. God, you use it. I will do what you ask, Lord. I pray that you would pour out blessings that, that his life cannot even contain. God, that there would be such an overwhelming blessing, God, in his life, God, whether that's physical, mental, emotional, financially, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would bless where he needs to be blessed. God, I pray for continued anointing, God, as he gets up and speaks week in and week out at Sheridan. God, and most importantly, we pray for the next lead pastor of that church. God, I pray right now, God, applications would come in today. God, that the right person would, would sense that, would sense your leading, God, that they would come, God, and that, um, that you would fill that hole, God. And we just thank you, God. We thank you that RLC is not the only church body, God, but we are a part of a massive church, God, and we support all church, God. We love your church, God. We love the community that it is. And so I just pray over all that situation, and we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. amen. All right, now I need you to give a big, warm welcome to Pastor Larry this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be back. Uh, I've missed you. Jan has missed you. Uh, as leaders of the prayer team, we feel like we're sneaking out when we're not here and allowing others to carry things. But the Lord has laid this on our heart to say yes to the network, to say to, uh, to bless the Sheridan and, and to be helpful to them. And I'm just thankful that uh, I once again have an opportunity. Now, why am I here instead of in Sheridan? Because... I was asked to preach before Sheridan asked this to happen, and I said, I will do it, except I have my home church, and I've made a commitment, and I don't back out on my commitments. Don't change things just because something else is happening. And so that's why I'm here, and they're suffering through some terrible preaching, probably themselves, this morning, without me being there. Yeah, no pride, no arrogance, anything like that. 
Welcome. We're glad you're here today. It's an online group. Thank you for coming. We wish you were here so we could hug you and smile at you and, and hear your story and we can share some of ours with you too. But, but we're glad at least you're, you're there. If you can't be here, we're glad you're online. So thank you very much for, for being here. And it's just exciting to, uh, to, again, fill your pulpit. I am honored. I, I feel like I'm so blessed to be able to preach. I, I told the Sheridan people that when I retired that uh, I, I wanted to be helpful in the church. I wanted to minister in the church, but I had no, no concept that I would be uh, welcome uh, in the pulpit in my home church. And, in, and this is the second interim I've done, too, in, in other churches. And so thank God for, for his leading and his calling. And I just hope that today, I pray today that what I share with you is going to impact your lives for Jesus, not because I preached it, but because it's out of the word and what God has to say to you, you need to hear and you need to apply to your lives. I will give you a little warning ahead of time here. What I have to share today is, is a serious topic and uh, I'm going to be a little direct at times. But I want you to know that all that direction and all that we're going to talk about today is wrapped in exactly what the song was about and what Pastor Trenton was sharing, the love of God. He loves you more than you can possibly know. He loves me more than all my insecurities, my anxieties, my pride, my... He, you know what grace is? It's loving you even in spite of you. In spite of you being you, that's Grace. And so thank God for his mercy. And so I share with you, if you feel like you have to duck when I shoot, uh, don't. Because it might be the Holy Spirit that's coming your way. So you, ne you never know. Uh, by the way, I should tell you this. Because it, it really, Allie preached my intro really well. And then, and then uh, Trenton, or not Trenton, uh, Charles, Pastor Sasser, preached my second half of my message. And last week, Trenton preached my first half. So we're golden. <laughs> Brunch time. Let's go eat. We're good to go. Actually, as we connect through these parables and this sort of thing, uh, we're finding the same theme. Uh, Trenton and I were talking about, we're finding a lot of theme that goes right through these parables that might make them seem repetitious to you. That's good. When you went to school, some of you are still in school, the teacher repeated things. I know you quick students wish they wouldn't and you slow students wish they'd wouldn't either. But nonetheless, they repeated things. And the Holy Spirit's repeating things for you to get and to add into your, your toolbox in your spirit so that you might serve God more fully and know him uh, better. Okay, so, um, so we're going to continue in the parable series. And what are parables? A simple story used to illustrate a deep and profound spiritual lesson. Stories draw people in. You all know, if you, as a church family, as soon as one of the pastors says, now when I was going downtown the other, or something like that, your, your, your ears perk up. If you're dozing, you even wake up. You're going, What's this story about? We love stories uh, because of the people and the situations in them. And Jesus, not only that, when he told stories to draw people in, he often put a twist in the stories that made people curious. This isn't preached very often, but many of the parables he taught, when he got to a certain point in the parable, the people said, no, really? For example, the parable of the uh, prodigal son. It was legal to ask your dad for the inheritance, but do you know it was an absolute shame in the community? This is equivalent to walking up to your dad and said, I wish you were dead. Give me your money. Think about that. I wish you were dead. Give me your money. And this would have made the, the people of the day just go, oh, he didn't. 
and they were drawn into the story. The same thing with a gentleman who was in bed with the loaves of bread. Remember, his neighbor came and knocked on the door and said, I got a friend that came over. I need bread. And he says, no, I'm in bed. Go away. And then he kept knocking. And we think, well, that's about persistent knocking. Do you know that in a village community in Israel in those days, bread was baked communally? It wasn't just your bread. It was everybody's bread. And when somebody knocked on your door and said, we need bread, it was, sure, I'll get it for you. No problem. It's our bread. So there was just twists in all the parables or a lot of the parables that, that drew people in and got their attention. And so Jesus is speaking these things to, to help them understand their needs in their lives. Jesus could have used any avenue to communicate the truths of his kingdom, but he chose parables. He was looking for those whose desire was to understand spiritual truth and to align the action and trajectory of our lives with their, with, their, with their meanings and truths, with what was going on in them. Why? Well, in my opinion, it was to teach those who really wanted to find God but didn't need a theological discourse. They weren't going to the Bible college. They weren't going anywhere like that. They're just everyday folks that really need to hear, how does this work for me? How does it work in life? And he was doing it. But also, he was doing it because those who were opposed to God's truth made themselves very evident by rejecting even the parables. It says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that means, hey, if you really want to listen, listen. But if you don't, it's on you. And that's exactly what was going on. Now, a word to the wise. We have to be careful not to interpret or cram too much meaning into what Jesus said. There are deep meanings to be found. And though we can often see analogies, not everything is always an analogy in the Bible. So we don't, do, don't think we need to take the parable and tear it all down and say, oh, this is the sign of the devil, or this is that, or this is... When actually the plain meaning of the parable is the plain meaning of the parable. Okay, I have actually, in studying for today, come across some commentaries where they were working out the entire sense of the rapture, the mid-tribulation, the post-tribulation, and the judgment, all in these few simple verses, when I don't think it's there. The basic meaning of, of it is there. Yeah, Jesus is coming back, and be ready for it, but that's the meaning, okay? He's not trying to, you know, get in all these dates and figure everything out for you, um, an example would mean that something, and a lot of the Bible, yeast is, represents sin. But when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a loaf, you know, big amount of bread with yeast in it, I think that's just a simple story. Look, it grows. Look what happens to it. You don't have to force information out of it. The parables are first and foremost simple stories by Jesus from everyday life used to illustrate the qualities of the kingdom of God and the believer's responsibilities within that kingdom. What is God like? What are we to be like? That's what the parables are about. Okay? And there are deep, heavy meanings, but most deep meanings I have found are, are very simple, just hard to apply. Right? I need to be a good parent. Easy to say. A lot harder to do. And my kids and grandkids said, there you go. There you go. They're all with me. You just be a better parent than I was, and everything will be good. Okay? That's on you. I'm preaching from Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13, regarding the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. The parable of these women is an illustration to help us understand how we're to live out our lives while waiting for and anticipating Jesus' return. There's the sermon in a sentence. 
Now, before I read our portion of Scripture today, I want to set the context. Jesus is, is in Jerusalem. Jesus is in Jerusalem. Jesus is in Jerusalem right after the triumphal entry, okay? He has showed up, and he has, what has he been doing? Well, he has uh, kicked the money changers out of the temple. He has healed everybody that's come to him. And he has debated and debated and debated with the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jews who are concentrated in that space, right? And they are rejecting him, and he is telling them how, no, I am the Lord, I'm sorry, you got to deal with it. And you're going to reject me, and that's part of God's plan, but here I am. And we get to chapters 24 and 25, and they're all about Jesus teaching on his second coming. They detail what will be happening and the signs of his coming. It's clear from the information that Christians can generally be aware of the timing of his return. I want you to hear that. You can be generally aware of the timing of his return. For example, it is by no accident that in the last hundred years or so, the last few hundred years, that the world has shrunk and become what we call globalization, right? It's become, we are always aware of what's going on in China. We can watch documentaries of Iran. We can see into Africa. We know what's going on in South America. We've got global news networks that just within minutes can tell you of an earthquake or a volcano or of a war. This is all coming together. What is that a sign of? When the Bible says in Revelation that the whole world sees, Jesus is coming back. This is a, a, just a, a small example of the fact that we can be aware of the signals, but we don't know the date or the time. You, it, Jesus flat out says it. If you see a book, and there was one way back in the 1980s, Jesus is coming back on September 8th, 1988, or some weird thing, that's, just don't read it. It's a waste of your time. It's somebody making money. That's all it is. You can know he's coming, but you don't know the day or the hour. Okay? That's just, uh, for you young people especially, don't get caught up. And Jesus warned about that. This whole conversation is kicked off early in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 1 through 3, it says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him and to call his attention to the buildings. They are beautiful. I've been in Israel. I've stood on the Mount of Olives. I've seen, now the Dome of the Rock was there, but I've seen models. The, the temple was absolutely gorgeous. It was considered one of the wonders of, uh, at that time of archi uh, uh, architecture and everything. Just beautiful. I said, Isn't this beautiful? And Jesus says, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, not one stone here will be left on another. And in AD 70, that, that happened. The Romans tore it down. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Mount of Olives overlooks the temple. It's, it's, up, it's up this way, the temple. You go down the valley, there's the temple, okay, in Jerusalem. And he, they said to him, tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Notice they actually asked three questions here. They didn't ask, when's all this going to happen? They said, when's this, when is this happen? What will be the sign of your coming? and of the end of the age. Three different questions. And, and Jesus spends some of chapter 24 detailing events and timing events of all three questions regarding the end times. The last part of chapter 24 is an illustration of how a master expects his servants to do the right thing when he is gone and what happens um, if they don't do the right thing. Chapter 25 builds on that theme with two parables, one of which I'm preaching on this morning, about what it takes for us to participate in his kingdom, both now and when he returns. The last part of that chapter explains what will happen 
when Jesus sits as judge after his return. Now, why am I taking so much time to give you context? And there's more context to come. It's because you can't read this parable outside of its context. If we read about the, the wise and foolish virgins and say, well, some of them were ready and some of them weren't, so when I get ready to go to school, I need to be ready to go to school. It's not about you being ready to go to school. It's about you living out the Christian life until Jesus comes and being ready for him to come. That's what you've got to get in your mind this morning. Jesus is coming back. He might come back in the next three seconds to spare you from my preaching. Who knows? <laughs> there was a pastor uh, I, I knew of. I did not know him directly, I, but I, I, I'd met him. He used to preach that Jesus was coming back on a Sunday morning because that was easier to gather his people, the faithful people, that way. He knew where they'd be. Well, he knows where you folks online are too, and he knows, <laughs> he knows where the people on the other side of the world are sleeping right now. I, I don't think his theology was strong, but nonetheless, it was fun to preach that way. Jesus makes two things abundantly clear in his teaching. One is an unknowable amount of time will pass before he returns, and two, his return will be sudden. There will be no time to repent when he shows up. Repentance is for now, not for when he comes. Oh, God, forgive me. No, too late. Too late. I know we in this permissive society in America never want to hear that. Oh, I'm sorry, Johnny. I know you didn't really mean to, mean to hit Susie. And so now let's talk about that and let's get a, oh, not in my household. No, no way. Don't even take time to take the belt off. That's what the hand's for. You know what I mean? But I, and I'm sorry to tell you this. We talk about the love of Jesus, and this is about the love of Jesus. But there's going to come a time when he comes in judgment, not in salvation. For you and me and the world. Okay, now we're going to be saved because of the blood of Jesus. Only our, all the bad stuff's going to burn up for us. All the good stuff's going to be uh, rewarded for us. That's, that's good. But, but if there's somebody we know that isn't saved, there's not time once he comes to be saved. Okay, and I'm not going to get into the tribulation and whether or not you can get there without the Holy Spirit. Just forget that, because what you need to know is you can be prepared for him to come so you are saved. Yes. That's the important message coming from this. The parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids has only two main themes. The primary one would fit in the Boy Scout motto, be prepared. I was a Boy Scout, and I got to tell you, I look great in khaki with a kerchief. <laughs> Earned a few merit badges, was a senior patrol leader. I mean, I tell you, I was something. I, I, I really was. But no matter what, being prepared is important no matter what you do in life, whether you're Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, college, whatever it is, uh, your mother telling you to get ready to, for lunch, what, whatever it is. Being prepared is important. We're going to save the second theme to discuss towards the end of the message. It won't be as fun, but it'll be true to God's word. So now, let me set the stage a little further. We know we're talking about these virgins, and they're at a wedding. So I want to talk about a Jewish wedding very briefly, okay? So you get an idea, and then we'll get right into the Scripture. First, the parents arrange the marriage with the consent of the bride and groom. Okay, so dad and dad said, ooh, she'd be a pick for our family, and he'd be a good guy to be in our family. So let's get together and talk about this. And then... I know it seems harsh. They would just tell the kids to get married. No, they generally said, you know, do you want to marry this man? Do you want to marry this woman? 
and are we going to have a big fight over it or not? And if there was an absolute refusal, they probably said, this isn't going to work, so they tried again. But it wasn't, it, it was generally marry and then learn to love. It wasn't love and then get married. And, and uh, I knew a, a couple that had been in an arranged marriage in India that were Christians, because they still arranged marriages over there. And they just plainly said, yeah, we learned to love each other after we were married. And they, they had kids and in the ministry, all sorts of wonderful things. But it can happen that way. So, that, so that's, that's, that's what happened first. Second, the, ca- the couple passed uh, an engagement period of, of many months, which is usually about a year, for two reasons. The groom went and started preparing his home and his business to take in his wife, right? And the bride's time was to, was to the fiance's time, was to show that, yes, she was virginal. She wasn't messing around, Okay. And she's watched very closely. I've been to Israel. I've seen Orthodox families and Muslim families. It's very real. Young girls don't go out in public without lots, without relatives. So usually a male relative. But if you can get three or four sisters, that works too. So that's just the way their culture was. Third, on the day of the wedding, the groom would go to the bride's house to claim his bride from his from her parents. And then, they would have the, and then they would have the marriage ceremony right then. And the marriage ceremony wasn't, we are gathered here. No, it was like, sign this document, please. You know, and pledge your absolute contract. This is what's going to happen. And where's the dowry? You're going to pay dowry for this girl. And her dowry was saved by her dad. He could use the interest, but he had to save the money in case the groom divorced her. Then the money was hers. Okay? So that was all very legal. And then, and then, um, the marriage, so after that, on the evening of the day of that, the groom would take his bride home. This involved a nighttime procession through the streets lit by lamps and torches. When he finally got to his place or, or the family's place, there would be a banquet that would often last as long as seven days. So you brides who are figuring out how to do a, a, you know, a, pre, a pre-dinner or a reception, no, it's seven days. Yeah, only it was on the groom's family to figure that out. Isn't that great? Isn't that good? So uh, that, that's how it kind of worked. Now, the groom usually came later in the afternoon because it was an evening procession you know, and after you're just doing this legal stuff, why make a big deal out of that? We're going to come later in the evening, or later in towards the evening, then we're going to take this torchlight parade on. Okay, I'm done with that. Let's talk scripture. I've talked a lot. Let's get some more scripture in here. Matthew 25, verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Now stop. We don't, want, we don't need the next slide here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk for a little bit, and then we'll do some more scripture. Okay? The arrival of the bridegroom was supposed to be a surprise to show up for this wedding event. Right now, then you knew the day. I mean, you can't have all the all the bridesmaids and everybody there, but you knew the day. But you didn't know if he's going to come at three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock. You didn't know. That was supposed to be be part of the event. You know, <gasps> when's he coming? When's he coming? When's he coming? Okay, that that was totally normal. The wait is the equivalent of the church waiting for Jesus to return to set up His kingdom. 
This is the same thing. We're waiting for the groom. We're waiting for the groom. Come on, groom. Come on, groom. We're excited that he's coming. Are you excited that he's coming? I hope that you're excited that he's coming. The virgins were the equivalent of bridesmaids. Their role in the wedding was to light the path for the couple back to their new home. This happened in the evening. Why did they have the lamps and the torches? Because they were supposed to lead the way or be along the way because you didn't want uh, hubby and new wife to be hugging each other and happy with each other and having to carry lamps, right? This was supposed to be an honor. We're lighting your path like the blankets before Jesus as he went into Jerusalem. Verse 6, at midnight the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. The best man's job was to announce the groom's coming. He, he, was, he came with the groom, and like John the Baptist announced Jesus, he announced, okay, here he comes. So everybody jumps up and gets ready to, gets ready to go. The wise bridesmaids had prepared well, but only had enough to fulfill their role at this late time. They weren't being mean or harsh to the five foolish ones. Not at all. Instead, if they'd have shared their oil, then they would have been shut out of the wedding feast too. They wouldn't have been able to light all the way there. So they were just doing what they were supposed to do. Verse 10, but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready to went in who were ready, went in with them to the wedding banquet, which is what happened, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour, and you don't want that door shut in your face, right? The oil here that they're sharing, some have preached it's about the Holy Spirit and stuff or grace. It's not. It can't stand for salvation or grace or the Holy Spirit because it was bought and sold. And I cannot buy the Holy Spirit. I cannot buy grace. I cannot buy salvation. I can receive them all, but they're gifts from God. Okay? So this is not a picture of Pentecost or anything like that. Uh, why wouldn't the groom open the door for the bridesmaids? Now, this is an important point. And I, maybe building up to this, I just want you to know. All of you married ladies... You probably had bridesmaids, unless you went to the Justice of the Peace or something like that. And then some of you are hoping to be married someday, and you're just thinking, I'm going to have 15 girls just all lined up across you with some of the ugliest, prettiest dresses you have ever seen. Some of these poor girls, they don't, they, they don't fit what you're planning, okay? But, but nonetheless, you've seen that, and you think that. How would you feel if at your wedding one of the girls was doing this. <laughs> or you, so you, they asked the groom, I do, and, the, and one of your bridesmaids went, <laughs> him? <laughs> That's what these bridesmaids did when they didn't bring the foil. They insulted the bride and the groom. They were asked to light the way to the house. That was their job. I gave you one thing. One thing, and you couldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. You just had to be ready for whenever that groom came. Who knows why he was late? Maybe there was traffic on the freeway. We don't know, whatever it was. But nonetheless, they didn't do the job. And that's why, that's why they weren't ready and they were shut out. Now, I want to give a disclaimer here very quickly as I get to my points. 
I wish I could tell you I'm perfectly ready for Jesus to come back. But I am just like you. I struggle too between the flesh and the spirit. I want to be ready. I'd like to be ready. I'd like to think I'm ready. But then every once in a while, things pop up that tells me, Larry, you've got a lot of repentance to do and a lot of things you need to live to get right with God. So I don't want you to think that I'm preaching up here as a perfect pastor like Trenton would be, you know, uh, or PK. By the way, mentioning PK, don't you miss him? I do. Yes. He uh, texted me last night, Mr. Encouraging Pastor, and said, you're going to do well. I'm praying for you. I said, I need you to help me be short. I pray for my brevity. He says, oh, just tell him I like to hear you preach, and you can preach as long as you want. So here you go. <laughs> Hi, PK. <laughs> Hope you aren't sleeping in your recliner. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want you to know, I'm not preaching from a perfection point. We need grace. We need mercy. I got to check in on grace and mercy every day. It doesn't mean I'm allowed to be sloppy and not prepare my oil. Okay? It's... It doesn't mean that. That grace and that love is so real. But the, the proper response is, I'm going to do my best because I love back, right? Okay, so main point number one, be prepared. So what does all this mean for you and me? To start with, we're to be prepared for Jesus to come back no matter how long it takes. His promise is good, and the timing is not in our hands. Ready or not, here he comes. Remember playing hide-and-seek? Ready, you count to whatever and say, ready or not here. The question is pushed, that has pushed me since I began studying for this message is, how do I prepare? How do you prepare? How do I get prepared? After all, readiness reflects understanding the seriousness of the situation because his return changes everything. He is coming to judge, not to save. We will be saved, but it, it's not coming to go to the cross again for us. Okay, he's done that. That's once and done. He's coming to finish the situation off and return this earth to be what it was meant to be, a creation. Some of us have been in a meeting where the big boss turns to a staff member and says, how are we, getting, how are we doing getting ready for X, Y, and Z? The big X, Y, and Z. You know, the big account, the big opening, the whatever it is, the soft opening, the worship service. And uh, one of the staff members there says, who's assigned for all this stuff says, oh, it's really coming along. Oh, good. Then the boss says, can you show me your work and what is coming along? And it gets a little tense in there. Is the staff member really ready? Has he really done something? Or is he just one of these guys who woofs his way along and hopes it all turns out in the end? So this is what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Are we really ready? What have we been doing? How do we prepare? There's three thoughts here. First, you position yourself. How many of you athletes know what the ready position is? Right? On your toes, on your balls of your feet, a little bit here, a little bit here. Applies to baseball, football, volleyball, whatever. You're ready. Maybe your hands are here. Maybe your hands are here. Whatever it is, that's the ready position. Are you, are you readying yourself? Are you positioning yourself? The wise bridesmaids put themselves in a position for success. Now, what's your first position? Get saved. You're not going to get anywhere if you don't know Jesus Christ. If you're in this room today or if you're watching online and you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, you've never invited him in and you don't put your faith in him, better do it fast because we don't know when he's coming back. Okay, that's your first position. Get saved. Secondly, receive water baptism. You know to do it, do it. There's, make no excuse. I don't, people will watch me. Yes, that's the point of water baptism. It's called a public commitment for Jesus Christ. Get baptized. 
Get filled with his spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill your life as much as possible. Overflow you with the presence of the spirit. Forget about whether you're speaking in tongues or not. Just get filled with God. Invite God in. Tell him you can have every room in your, in your heart. Just let him come in. Let it overflow. Let it go. Let it go. Get filled with the spirit of God and do that every day if you can. Finally, create righteous habits. Attend church. It's a righteous habit, and it's biblical, and it's scriptural. If you can't make it here, go online. If you're on vacation, go online. Jan and I did on vacation. That's great. But I got to tell you, to get hugs and to get, to get loving, you got to be here. And to get, and to get uh, a growth from, from the people you're around. Give to the Lord. Give to others. Consume the word of God. Serve people. Pray. These are all positioning of yourself to be ready for the master when he comes. And one more thing, forgive. Jesus said, these are his words, not mine. Unless you forgive, Father in heaven can't forgive you. You don't know how badly I've been hurt. Hey, I've been hurt in the ministry so bad I want to quit. Jan and I were hurt at our marriage so badly that it took a long time to repair some relationships at our wedding. But if I don't forgive, Jesus is going to hold me accountable, and I don't want the door shut in my face. You don't forgive for the other person. You don't let them off the hook. You let you off the hurt hook. You take yourself out of the jail of bitterness, okay? But that's positioning yourself. Now, second, produce. And this is what Pastor Sasser uh, preached on. Okay? This is what he preached on, on the parable of the, the master brought them in and he gave them some, a certain amount of money according to their abilities and they reproduced, they got more money, invested it and come back and one of them didn't and there was all sorts of problems there. Okay, so the wise bridesmaids did their job and honored the marriage couple. They produced what they were asked to produce. We all invest, we invest all that God has given us so that we may present it to the, him upon his return. That's what that parable says. Do, invest. Invest your life in expanding the kingdom. Support missionaries. Witness to your neighbors, even if it's a long-term deal. Stand up to, for your, in front of your family. Don't be cruel. Don't be mean. Don't be harsh. Be inviting. But be a Christian in front of your family. Uh, something I had to do and Jen had to do, and sometimes you did it with gritted teeth. But you still need to be a Christian and invest in, 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 their, in, in the kingdom for their soul's sake and for what God wants to do. We need to remember that investment means large outcomes depend on regular input. Anybody building retirement means you put something in every month or every week. You just keep doing it. And no, you don't get to spend it on tires. No, you don't get to spend it on coffee. No, you don't get to, to buy another house with it. What are you doing with it? You're building for the time when you're like Jan and I and we're extremely fabulously wealthy now. Though the truth of the matter is we have some money away, and we wouldn't if we just spent it on, on other stuff all the time. Investment means put it into God's kingdom all the time. You invest in Sunday school and children's ministry. You're investing in these little children, but for the king, because they're going to be presented to the king with your name attached at the end. Same with your missions giving, your tithing, the same with your prayers, the same with your witnessing. It's all an investment for the king. Third, you're going to persevere. So you position yourself, you produce, and you persevere. 
The wise bridesmaids were ready even if the time was longer than anticipated. And believe me, the early church thought Jesus was coming back any day. It's been 2,000 years. Has he come back? No. Why has he delayed? Peter, the uh, book of Peter is very clear. He has delayed so that more people could be saved. So as many as possible could be saved. He's not coming back until that's not possible anymore. The gospel has to spread around the world. Un the language groups that don't have Jesus, who've got to find Jesus, got to have a presentation of the gospel. Then he will be uh, on his way back. When you persevere, you must realize every day could be the day, but it might not be. But you, you persevere anyway. Every day could be the day. There's, you should have no extended lapses. Well, I walked away from Jesus for several years. You know what? I'd be scared to walk away from Jesus for several years. Come to Jesus now. Come to Jesus now. There's no good moment for compromise in your life. Young people hear me. Old people hear me. You in between hear me. There is no good moment for compromise in your life. Amen. Pastor preached a great message on gratitude a couple of years ago during Thanksgiving. It was level up and do it in spite of and because of. Raise your, your grateful level. Well, I'm saying raise your preparedness level. Do it in spite of what you're facing and do it because of what you're facing. Be, get your heart and soul ready. Now, main point number two. Oh, boy. Take a breath, Larry. Each of us is personally responsible to be ready to meet Jesus. It's your job. No, it's not your mama's job. No, it's not spiritual grandma's job. It's not your husband's job or your wife's job. Not your daddy or mommy's job. It is your job to be personally responsible, uh, responsible to meet Jesus. If the five wise ones had shared their oil, if they'd taken their eyes off the prize and shared their oil, they too would have been shut out. They had to say, it's my job, every, all five of them, it's my job to have enough oil. And the five foolish virgins, that was true for them too. This is the way it works. You alone are responsible before God for you. Your family is responsible for themselves, not for you. Your church leadership is responsible for themselves, not for you. And may I say a word about this? This is in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Pastor Trenton, Pastor Sasser, Allie, Rhonda, PK, myself, anybody that takes this pulpit or anybody who teaches you has even a double standard of me of responsibility because I could be sharing misinformation, such a fancy word nowadays, I could be sharing something that's not good for you. And so I've got to stand before God about that. But I'm responsible for that. Okay? I am. And your pastor, PK, Pastor, pastor Kevin, is not responsible for you to get prepared. He is responsible to give you stuff to prepare yourself with. It's like, kind of like, you know, getting your kid ready to go to school and there's a, a lunch to be made. And Mom or dad might get out the peanut butter and the jelly and all that stuff, but who's responsible to, to put that together? It should be the child. When they're old enough, they spread it all. They cut it all. They wrap it up. They put it in whatever they're going to take it, and, and they take it. You know, There's a reason why you get taught to tie your own shoes, because mommy isn't going to tie your shoes for you when you get to be 18 years old or 38, okay? It's personal responsibility. And I'm going to say this one. This is another tough one. The people who have wounded you 
are not responsible if you have not prepared yourself in forgiveness to enter heaven. It's not their fault for you not to get ready. They, it's their fault. For, there should be consequences. There should be a, all sorts of things happening to them for what, how they've wounded you. They should learn some lessons. They should keep their mouth shut. They should keep their hands to themselves. All sorts of things like that. But you are responsible to act like Jesus and forgive them and, and get over that so that you can move ahead and invest properly in getting ready for heaven. When you stand before Jesus Christ, he's going to say, so, Larry, your parents, uh, he's not some psychologist. Was it your parents' fault that you did all this sin? No, it's me. It's me. Don't want to be too tough there, but I want you to know there will be a time when the door to history as we know it is closed. And again, I'm saying this is simple, but it's hard to do. But there will be a time in history when the door is closed, and your forgiveness better be complete before that happens. Okay? Now, main point three. Finally, the good news. What is the good news? What is the good news about all this? There is a good, there is good news. And it sounds, you know, less than encouraging for me to, to stand up here and say, you've got to forgive, and you've got to be prepared, and you've got personal responsibility, and position yourself. But you know what? There is fantastic news. And we always got to kind of sometimes rearrange our mind to realize how good God is. Number, number one, number one, Jesus hasn't come back yet. That's great news, especially when my life isn't ready. He's taking this time. He's extending mercy to everybody here, everybody online, everybody around this world saying, I want you to fall in love with me because I love you. I want to forgive all your sin. I want my blood to wash over you. You have the opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I am so glad I haven't come back yet. And we say, oh, please hurry and come back, Lord. This world's a mess. He says, yeah, but there's more people to be saved, and I want you to be saved too, and I want you to get ready for me. You can position yourself. You can produce for me. You can do, you can persevere. Just imagine what's going on. I, you are building so many crowns in heaven. I just can't even think of how much blessing I'm preparing for you. Jesus said, I'm going to, to build a place for you up here. Come on, get it on. While you're waiting, let's get busy. Let's pour that oil into the extra flask and let's bring it with ourselves, right? There's good news. You're living on the age of grace and forgiveness. It's yours if you ask. If you're in this room and you're not saved, or maybe you've neglected baptism, or you've neglected other parts of the Word of God, and you want to apply them, you need to be applied in your life, you're in the age of grace. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Mean it, and he will do it. You have the chance to be forgiven. Think of it. Think of it. God offers more grace than husbands and wives offer to each other. God offers more grace than grandma offers to her grandchildren, and that is a lot of grace. Every kid has always said that's been married and had kids, how come you didn't let me get away with anything, but you let that little brat of mine run wherever they want to in your house, you know? But that's God. It's the age of grace and mercy. Grab a hold of it. Dive into it. Enjoy it. Worship the Jesus who said, I'm dying for you so you can just get ready for me to come and wrap my arms around you.
Hallelujah. You live in the age of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit who will help you and empower you and prepare you. And, and when you need to examine yourself, say, am I ready? The Holy Spirit is boom, boom, boom. He is ready to enter into your life. He's ready to empower you. He's ready to help you. He's ready to make miracles happen. It's so wonderful when that happens. To just be, no, hey, I've got the presence of the Spirit. Another reason to be encouraged is, this is the church age. You have each other. Turn to each other and say, I got you. I got you. I got you. Isn't it fantastic you can come to church and hear a challenging message? Isn't it fantastic you come to church, you can raise your hands and worship? Isn't it fantastic that I go to a church over in Sheridan now and preach, and those people love the same Jesus you do? Yes. Praise God, they're going to hear the same message in a week or two that I'm preaching to you. A week of vacation for me for prep. But no, I'm just saying, we got each other. I mean, I was just enjoying my time just talking with people today and just saying hi. And, 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 and then sometimes somebody says something and the Holy Spirit just drops it in your heart like, wow, that's a nugget for me. And we were just having a conversation. The church, imagine when persecution gets worse. What are you going to do if they shut the church down? What if they do is they say, the state is confiscating all church buildings. What are you going to do? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep going to church. Not here. Might be in my house, might be in my kid's house, might be in uh, Julie's house. I don't know where it'll be, but it'll be somewhere. I'll be going to church because it's a church age and we have each other. We can love each other. We can give Jesus to each other. We can love on each other. Oh, man. Don't you hear the good news? You can be saved. You can be filled. You can be encouraged because Jesus hasn't come yet. The only caveat to all this is what? You better have the oil when the bridegroom comes. Get in, get it done, and just keep doing it every day. Every day, position yourself, produce, and persevere. Be responsible for yourself. Be responsible for yourself and get yourself going. You know, a simple wedding story is all Jesus told. It makes it clear, though, if we really want Jesus, we'll be ready for him when he comes. We'll be ready. We'll settle in. We'll be confident in our faith. At the same time, we'll always examine ourselves and keep, keep expanding the realm of the kingdom inside of ourselves, like the leaven in, 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 the, in the bread. We'll keep letting it grow. Keep letting it grow. Will you bow your heads with me? Will you? Probably more importantly, will you bow your heart with me? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. But I also want to ask you, is there anyone here who would just raise a hand and say, you know what, I'm really, I really do need Jesus in my life. I haven't put my faith in him like I should, like I know. Is there anyone here who would raise a hand just show, show me by a hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. You can put it down. Is there anyone else? And I ask this because if I'm going to preach on how important it is to do this, then, then we need to ask you directly. Anyone else? Okay, one person has raised their hand, so we're going to pray for them. And we're going to do it all together. And this is the prayer we need to pray. Will you pray with me? Just follow after what I say. Dear Lord, I'm sorry I haven't come to you before.
but I'm coming now. I want to put my faith in you. I want to receive you into my life. I'm not sure that I'm aware of all that that means, but whatever it is, please help me with it. I will live for you, doing the best that I can. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now with your head still bowed, I just want to, I want to pray over you. I want, are you ready? Are you ready in your heart? Have you really, with zeal, given your life to Jesus Christ lately? Are you prepped? Are you positioned? Are you ready to give him glory? Are you ready to light the path for the groom as you go into the feast? Is that your heart? Is that your desire? You check yourself. You let the Holy Spirit examine you right now. I guarantee you he's not going to condemn you. He may convict you, but he won't condemn you. He will never say you're rotten or lousy. He'll just say there's more we can do. Heavenly Father, I pray over these people and ask in the name of Jesus Christ, please, Lord, give them peace in their heart as they prep for you. Give them comfort in their mind, Lord. Give them the presence of the Spirit. Give them a zeal for you, Lord. Help them to start going forward and never turn back, Lord. Help them to to know that you're coming, you're coming, you're coming, you're coming, and we don't know when exactly. We know you're coming, and we want to be ready. We want to be bridesmaids who are not foolish, but who are wise, Lord, who are not picking their nose or doing something stupid, but are, are Lord, literally, literally filled with your love and your goodness and your care. Lord, we want to do for you. We ask your help. Thank you for the age of mercy and grace and forgiveness. Help us proclaim that gospel, please. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Thank you so much for being here. And I won't see you next week or the week after, but uh, please pray uh, for Sheridan, as you will, that the Lord will provide them the pastor that will lead them. And I'll come back and, and, uh, and sit with you again. Lord bless you all. Prayer team is coming. They will be praying for you. If you have a need, if you have a need, please come up and pray. That's part of positioning yourself is allowing others to pray for you. Thank you very much. God bless you. You're dismissed. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.